The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. As I've grown older and theoretically wiser, and especially as I've learned more about history over the years, I've become more interested in personal stories. The sweeping dramas of major events are still fascinating, but more and more it's the human side, the experience of a person just trying to live their life while around them the sweeping drama of major events unfolds. That sparks my curiosity. What's even more exciting is when you realize that these stories are all around you in the people you interact with on a daily basis. Your friends and family, parents, grandparents, they all play a role in shaping history, even when they don't realize they do. Just going around in their normal life. And that's what today's story is all about. The stories hidden in plain sight. Ivan Caputo's father, a World War II veteran, kept his experiences close to his chest, like many World War II veterans. In a process that took years, she worked with her father to help him open up about his experiences as an everyday soldier, one of thousands of B-24 navigators, a process that not only let his story and wartime experiences get recorded in Caputo's book, but also brought her family closer together. My dad was typical greatest generation. He was much better at relating to his sons because they could go fishing and hunting and and do those kinds of things together. He wasn't quite so sure what to do with his girls. And we had a very loving relationship because he was a loving man, but I really wanted more. And it never quite seemed to happen until a phone call in 2008. And at that point, dad was 85. He was a brittle diabetic on dialysis. And every week I would call him and it would be normal that we would talk about his treatments or the latest medical reports or or something along that line. But on this one night, he opened up and told me this quirky, funny, off-the-wall story about bartering for French champagne in Fried, Belgium. Loading the champagne on the repaired B-24 that they were flying and taking it back to the base. I was hooked. So I said to dad, I said, let me get a pencil and paper. I want to take notes. And he said, what in the world do you want to do that for? And I said, I just think this would be a good story for the family. And over the next week, I really started to think, well, gee, I wonder if there's more. So on my very next phone call, I remember saying to dad exactly, if you're willing, dad, start at the beginning. 
how did you get into the war? And then week after week, story after story unfolded. And it was really kind of easy in that we did it chronologically. So the first story from dad was graduating from high school in 1939 and being unable to find a job because it was the middle of the Great Depression. And a year and a half later, ending up at the welfare office uh, and going into one of Roosevelt's programs called the Youth Administration Corps and learning to repair airplanes. That gave dad a presidential deferment. But lo and behold, doesn't he get to fly in one of the planes that he repairs? His exact words were, Hun, I didn't want to fix them anymore. I wanted to fly them. So he petitioned to get out of his presidential deferment and to become a cadet in the Army Air Force. And then from there, it was fairly easy in terms of this chronology. So he told me about basic training in Miami Beach. His next stop was Meadville, Pennsylvania, where he met my mother and attended a full semester at Allegheny College. And from there, he went to Harlingen, Texas to go to gunnery school. So that's just how it unfolded. And all this time, I'm taking notes and I'm turning my notes into chapters. And I can't tell you exactly where it was, but at some point I said to myself, I think I have something here. I think I have a book. And originally it was just going to be for the family. But the more I worked on it, the more I started looking into, is there a story about just an ordinary GI and all the steps along the way that would get him overseas flying bombing missions over Germany and France. And there wasn't anything. So then that's when I really decided I want to see what it's going to take to bring this to publication for a much wider audience. So that's really the story of how it happened. You mentioned that your dad flew B-24s in the European theater. Can you expand on that a little bit? What were some of his missions and experiences? My dad got to Rackheath, England in February of 1945. That would have made him 23 years old. So he was an oldie. Luckily for me, the war was winding down, and he, at the end of the war, had five missions under his belt, five bombing missions under his belt. What was interesting to me, though, is he came home with PTSD, with five missions. That's all it took. And so another part of exploring this with Dad was him finally being able to talk about the nightmares, to be able to talk about what it's like to be in this bucket of bolts flying through flak at 22,000 feet above the ground and 40 degrees outside and no pressurized cabin. So 
it's not minimal to have five missions. I would never want to say that, but he was lucky enough to get there at the end of the war. You said that your dad didn't talk about this a lot growing up. How about the rest of the family? How was it treated in the house? Like, how did your mom treat this topic? Did you ever try asking her or if you ever brought it up? How did the family react? Or did you even bring it up? I knew that dad had nightmares. Mom mentioned that he had nightmares. But she never said what they were because dad never told her. But I think your latter statement was closer to the point. We just didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about it. Mom didn't talk about it. So it it just wasn't something that we as a family discussed. And to take that a step further, when I was talking to dad on the phone, those 60 years later, I think part of what I had on my side is I love history. I just love history. Ever since I've been in college, I've been a history buff. So here was this person who was telling me this story with all this historical context, and I bit the bullet. Let me give you an example. When he was in Miami Beach, he contracted amoebic dysentery, and he said that it was from something that he ate. And he was out on the beach doing the regular calisthenics and things that they, that's where they trained was on the beach. And amoebic dysentery means violent diarrhea. So he headed over to the slip trench, dropped his drawers. He was so weak from the diarrhea that he fell in. Somebody saw it. Guys came over, picked him up out of the bottom of the slip trench, threw him in the ocean and then sent him to the hospital. And he says to me, and they treated me with arsenic. I didn't believe him. (laughs) Right. So when he would say things like that along the way, I would go and I would do research. I have to tie my love of history to wanting to know more about my father, to wanting to fill in the spaces to verify what he was saying. And that was all a part of the writing process as well. As a therapist yourself, you you became a therapist later in life. As you became more and more aware of what your dad was going through, but before you kind of had that first conversation, did you ever find yourself just as a psychoanalyst wanting to just dive in and, and try to solve all this for your dad? It never would have occurred to me to do it. One of the things that they do stress when you're studying to be a therapist is you can't do your own family. You're too close to it. I mean, one of the reasons that therapy works is you've got this person who has some training, but who is objective because they're not in the mix. They're not in the milieu of whatever it is that's going on with the client. So no, it never occurred to me to do that with dad. What I can say about being a therapist is the training was really pretty essential to get dad to open up. I knew how to ask open-ended questions. I knew how to sit and listen. 
I knew how not to interrupt. I knew when he was telling me something, what a good follow-up question might be. And because I was so curious about his story and so willing to listen to it and so willing to take notes, as time progressed, and this was a two-year process for Dad and I, little by little, he did begin to open up and tell me the things that then I could talk back to him to. When he told me about the recurring nightmares that he had when he came home, I was able to say, you know, Dad, I, it makes me sad because what they didn't know at the end of the war about nightmares, we now know. Nightmares are a normal reaction to having witnessed awful events. Many of your compatriots came back with nightmares. And I remember Dad saying to me, what do you mean normal? And I was able to explain more, to let dad know what his experiences really meant from a psychological perspective. I think that in and of itself gave him ease to just continue to tell me more. So it was never that when I became a therapist, I delved into it. It was through the process of him telling me his stories that I knew what to do with the stories. One thing you talk about is how physical objects have helped tether your father's story to us today. Like being able to actually be inside a B-24, which you've done a couple of times. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of artifacts and objects to the story? What kind of ephemera did he have uh, from the war that you were able to use to connect to the story even more deeply? Well, obviously being inside the witchcraft and flying the witchcraft. And the witchcraft is the B-24 liberator that the Callings Foundation flies around the country and people can actually go inside. Yes, yes. When we were dismantling dad's house, when he passed away, my stepdaughter brought me an accordion file and it had all his personnel records. It was a gold mine. When I would come to a chapter and I felt like I needed to know more in order to add richness to the dialogue or richness to scene creation, I would do research online. I was able to watch a 1940s black and white video of a navigator getting ready to go on a mission. Incredible visual. When it came to the writing of his time in Texas, I said to my husband, I said, I don't know from Texas. I think I need to get on a plane. So I flew and went to what was left of those bases so I could get a sense of the air and the breeze and the topography so that I could add richness to the story. One of my favorite treasures in the artifacts that Dad left behind, and I didn't find this until 
after he passed away was a pilot's logbook. When dad came home after the war, somehow he was able to take lessons. And I have his private pilot's lessons. So this idea of touching things and being in the places that dad was and being on the plane, they're really very central to understanding what it was that he went through. When we were flying on the witchcraft, I was sitting in the radio operator's seat, and I had just enough room not to hit my head on the metal that was right above me. If I'd been standing on the catwalk, I probably could have put my arms out, and I'm a little person, and put my hands on each side of the fuselage. And you can see the lines along the fuselage that provided fuel to the engines. I understood what dad said then when he said that a B-24 was like being in a flying coffin. So those artifacts and those records, they're incredibly important to his story. I would not have been able to, I think, write the way I did without them. What advice would you have for people wanting to try and get their own parents' story? Your father was a World War II veteran, but there's veterans of other conflicts, including Korea, the Vietnam War, and even now, a lot of our younger veterans who have dealt with conflicts in the Middle East and Africa. What advice do you have for people who want to try to get their parents' story? The one thing that I would say is to respect the parents' right to be silent. If things come up in conversation, to say to a parent, you know, at some point, I really would like to hear about what it was like for you in Vietnam. Not if you're not willing to tell me, but if you're willing to tell me, I would love to just sit down and hear some of your stories. One of the hopes that I have with the book is that folks in the service would read dad's willingness to tell me his stories and that would grant them permission to open up and to tell their children. But the big thing for me is that out of respect for the parent, it has to be their choice. You mentioned hoping that others will read this story and feel open to start sharing theirs. So how has getting this story out there, this individual person's everyday story impacted people? What stories have you heard from readers in response? I think a comment that has come to me most often is that people who have read it, who had parents in the Second World War, who didn't have a sense of what it was like to go through, have felt like they've gotten a piece of their parent just by reading dad's story. And that's been really heartwarming to me. 
I had an experience the other day. I was doing another podcast and the interviewer asked me about one of the chapters in the book called Five Wishes. And Five Wishes is a document that is fuller than advanced directives or living will. And it's something that I sat down and I did with my father. And he told me how he wanted to be remembered and what he wanted his funeral to be like. And we just had this open flowing conversation about what death and dying meant to him. Well, this particular reader picked up on that chapter. It was really heartwarming to me that somebody would be able to read that and know that having conversations with your parents about death and dying is an okay thing to do. That having really strong negative emotions or facing some of those really hard topics of conversation are possible. The other thing is that um, readers have gotten back to me and said that it was really interesting to watch how this distance between my dad and I, how we cross this bridge so that at the end, I got the dad that I wanted and dad got a daughter that he didn't know he had. And he waited for me to come home so that I could be with him on his final journey. So having people understand that it's it's possible to heal relationships within families, that's also been very heartwarming to me. And your father read a transcript back. This book came out recently, but you had a transcript a while ago before he passed that he had a chance to read through. The book has been in four separate drafts. <laughs> welcome to writing. <laughs> yes, welcome to writing. Dad had the first draft. And we talked about it. I read some to him. The very last visit I had with him, he was in the hospital. And as a Christmas present, I took the first draft to him so he could see it. And just before I left the hospital, I said to him, I said, Dad, I'm so proud of you. And he said, what for? I said, well, I'm proud of your service. And he said, oh, no, honey, I'm proud of you. You wrote the book. That's the other wonderful piece about having done this is, is that there is so much that came out of it that I never would have expected when we had that first conversation in 2008. And the big part of what dad said to me in the hospital was that now people would know who he was. Now people would know his children and his grandchildren would know what he'd been through and what he was, his life was all about. And he said that in a way that made me understand that it would make it easier for him when the time came to just go, to let go and go, because he knew he was going to be remembered. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up our conversation? I really think that my entire life 
has been preparation to write this book. I think in whatever plan there was for me when I was born, that being a teacher and then being a therapist and then having a college professor that just pulled me right in to the real meaning of history, that all that was just a part of the plan so that when it came time, I would have the skill set necessary to take my dad's story and bring it to publication. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. You can find information about Yvonne Caputo's book, Flying with Dad, in our show notes. Stories like Mike Caputo's have taken center stage at the Museum of Flight's newly reopened World War II exhibit, located in our personal courage wing. Titled Untold Stories, World War II at 75, this refresh is the first major enhancement to the exhibit in almost 20 years and incorporates new information and perspectives on what it was like to be on the front lines. Learn more about the exhibit and how to plan your visit on our website, museumofflight.org. I also encourage people to really consider approaching your parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or anyone in your life who you think has a story to tell and help them tell it. It doesn't have to end up as a book. You can just record it and have it for your own family to pass down to the next generation, but every person's story and every person's voice has so much value. And in my experience, a lot of people really don't realize that. I've spoken with people who've had fascinating careers or experiences and they're like, oh, it's just not that interesting. It's not true. There's so much to learn. There are great resources out there to help you get started with these kinds of family history interviews. And I've, I've put a few of my favorite in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please share the podcast and subscribe to us to keep up to date with new episodes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs>